Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Ski Discussions. I'm your host, A.B. Basson. The international break is here, but the fun doesn't stop as we look forward to Africa Cup of Nations qualifying fixtures coming up this month. South Africa will host Sao Tomo and Principe in back-to-back matches in Durban and Port Elizabeth. Joining me to discuss this and much more is former Bufana Bufana International, Matthew Booth. Matthew, thanks for joining me. Um, you know, firstly, we can just jump straight into to Bufana Bufana. Uh, we've got two, you know, huge qualifiers, maybe not against the biggest team, um, 182nd ranked team in the world, um, but very important for Bafana Bafana's cause um, going into, you know, trying to qualify for the Africa Cup of Nations, which is now being pushed back to 2022. Yeah, so, I mean, locally in the PSL, you hear the coaches talking about uh, lack of goals, you know, it's like... It's the boring old soundbite, and um, the national team as well has also struggled, um, no doubt. So these two qualifiers will give them a fantastic opportunity to um, get their confidence back, especially in front of goal. Um, and obviously, it's very important that we can't let them trip us up in any way. Um, so there's a fine balance between being overconfident um, and and you know uh, and and confidence. So. Um, hopefully we get that right. Uh, but one loss against Ghana, one win against Sudan at home. You know, these two um, qualifiers have come at the right time to to give us six points and give us a massive boost, uh, you know, uh, for the qualifiers. We had disappointing results against uh, Namibia and, and Zambia in, in friendlies last month. And we saw Keegan Dolly speaking about you know, South Africa taking taking smaller teams, you know, a, lot, a bit lightly. I mean, we, we think back about, you know, qualifiers against Ethiopia and, and Sierra Leone and years gone past. Um, what is it, what what mindset has to change? I mean, coming up on the 19th of November is our, is our anniversary of our 1-0 win against Spain when they were World Cup, World Cup champions. What has to change when we're playing these so-called uh, smaller teams? Yeah, I agree with I agree with Keegan, um, but I also people have to also realize that people have to also realize that um, you know the when we do play against these smaller teams, it's normally not our our, our first choice starting lineup. Uh, for example, against Namibia and Zambia. In Seki, it did uh, try and cast the net uh, quite a bit wider. Um, and, and for a footballer, as soon as you do that, as soon as you bring in um, new faces, uh, that causes, it doesn't cause doubt, but it causes um, the, the possibility of, of an inconsistency, you know, creeping into the, into the team um, because you're having to adjust. You know, whether you're playing with a new uh, centre-back pairing, whether you're playing with a new goalkeeper behind you, um, it just causes um, that, that inconsistency. And that, that gives the opportunity for the smaller teams to, to sneak a result. Um, so, you know, if you have your first choice A team going out there on a regular, playing against big teams and small teams, then I would perhaps uh, that would be cause for, for concern. But I think we, 
we make too much of a meal of these um, uh, friendly games where the coach does want to try out new new faces and the results don't come our way, you know, and it, we, we think, oh, well, it's the same old, same old. Um, so I think uh, in the next two qualifiers, well, the last four qualifiers um, will be really a, a, a true uh, test for the team and and we can then judge them on those four uh, remaining um, African Nations Cup qualifiers. We can maybe just focus on you for the next few questions. Um, growing up in Cape Town and, and you know, becoming a professional in Cape Town and, and playing for Cape Town Spurs, obviously they've, they've been resurrected now in a, in a different form as the former Ajax. I mean, they were uh, obviously independent club back in the 90s and very successful club at that. Um, what was it like playing, playing for them back then? And what do you expect from, you know, the new Cape Town Spurs? Yeah, so uh, when I joined them from Fishhook uh, AFC, I joined them at a stage where they were um, uh, winning things. You know, they had a, a raft of quality players. David Rodwell, who owned Shusati, had garnered uh, together a fantastic squad under Mish Avre and Terry Akost. Uh, so as a youngster coming in there when, into a winning team was great. Uh, playing alongside... Guys like Ronnie Zondi, Michael Jacobs, um, you know, David Mudisi, the list, the Sean Bartlett, uh, you know, the list goes on. The late Reggie Junchies, um, it was a fantastic team. And only when they actually should have won the, the league in, in, um, uh, 94. And then David Rodwell gave it one last go and won the double in 95 and then subsequently sold the team. And when he sold the team, uh, a lot of the younger players were were thrown in the deep end, uh, which is when I I started to play on the regular. Um, so a fantastic team with a lot of history. And then when Ajax um, took over, I left a, a bitter taste in my mouth because not only was I not seen, um, I wasn't seen as being good enough uh, to play for the team, but also a foreign entity coming over and taking over part of your, um, well, starting to run your club, you lose uh, sovereign sovereignty, you know, and that's, I was a little bit suspicious at the time of, of their intentions. Um, but as it turns out, I think the, the footprint that they've left in South Africa has been a positive one. Uh, often you get foreign coaches coming to South Africa and they just take the money and then they run and they leave the, your establishment, your institution, your 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 league without anything tangible left yeah. behind. Um, and I think Ajax has definitely done that in, in leaving something tangible behind. They've left a footprint. Um, but having said that, I'm quite happy to have that name back in our game. Um, it's a game that we should never, it's, it's, a, it's a name that we shouldn't have lost. Um, and happy that, that Spurs is back. Obviously, the first uh, objective is to to get back into the Premier League. Um, in the NFD, we all know that it's a dog eat dog world, and um, the 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 remuneration um, every month is there's a big disparity between the two. So to make it uh, uh, the running of a football club feasible, you've really got to get into the Premier League, which is what they've got to do. 
You touched briefly there on the merging of, of Cape Town Spurs and, and Seven Stars to form IX Cape Town. And obviously, um, you, like you mentioned, you weren't kept, you know, to form part of the, the first IX Cape Town team. But that all jumped, obviously, that all uh, came to life because of a certain Benny McCarthy, in essence. Um, it's, it's his birthday, actually, today. Uh, you know, we're recording on his birthday. How how good of a player was he back then? And I mean, did you ever think that he he would become such a good player? Obviously, still South Africa's only Champions League winner and our all-time top scorer. Yeah, so uh, Benny and I played um, in the South African National 20 team um, for some for a number of years. Um, and before that, at Cape Town Spurs, where he had a short stint. Um, and you already knew of his name. Uh, he grew up uh, playing a lot of his football in the, in the Sunday League, Cape Town Sunday League or Gangster League, uh, which has produced and, and helped to develop a number of um, players from, from Cape Town. And when he arrived, when I first saw him, he was he, the best way to describe him was uh, silky smooth in the box. Um, he 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 knew where the goals were. Um, he knew which options to take. Um, he didn't need an extra touch to get it onto the right foot. Uh, he was incredibly good with his back to goal. Um, and probably one of the best goals that I've ever seen, the best technical goals that I've ever seen, and this is not showing any bias, but the, the header at the near post against Man United when he was playing for Porto in the Champions League, Mm. Um, managing to beat two defenders who were on his back and the goalkeeper at the near post when the ball was slightly behind him um, to get that amount of um, power um, from the from the neck muscles was was for me one of the best goals that I've seen and he scored a lot of them as well um, so yeah that's the best way that I can sum up uh, Benny and and um, you know, we've had some some fantastic um, uh, players that, that have gone over to Europe. And for him to have won uh, the Champions League with an unfancied Porto, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's one, of the, one of the best. You know, I put him in the same category as, as Lucas Khadebe, as, as a South African who we can be, you know, really proud of and who really uh, made their mark uh, in Europe. After after leaving Cape Town, you you popped up at Mama Lady Sundowns. Um, how were those those first you know your first spell at the club? How was your first spell at the club? What do you remember most fondly of your time? You know, Sundowns had then already established himself as a real force in in South African football. Oh well, yeah, uh, what I remember most is is winning the double in my first season. <laughs> so that, was, that helps. That was something fantastic. And yeah, it helped. Um, and very similar to Cape Town Spurs, I was rather fortunate to to arrive at a team which was brimming brimming full of confidence. They had already won the previous two league titles, and uh, I, when I arrived, uh, I helped them to win their their third in a row, plus the Rossmans Cup. So. Um, that was great. And, you know, having played at Cape Town Spurs and always come up against Sundowns, um, there were very few occasions where we had actually beaten them. 
Um, so I got an idea of what sort of team they were. Um, Cape Town Spurs actually had quite a decent record with the record against Chiefs and Pirates, if I can remember correctly. But uh, whenever we played Sundowns, we always came unstuck. Um, and uh, yeah, so to be able to join them instead of instead of getting beaten by them uh, was <laughs> kind of a relief. You know, um, they had a big uh, uh, striker, uh, Rafael Chuku who had um, thighs that were uh, bigger than my waist. You know? So I'm coming up <laughs> against him um, twice or thrice a season. It wasn't really pleasant. So it was, I was happy to to have joined them. <laughs> Who's the best players you played with? Roger, Roger Fatimbo was obviously there at the time. Um, are there, are there other, any other players that really stand out from, from that Sundowns team? Uh, you know, the list can go on, uh, AB, you know. Um, Roger, Roger, I think was the best. Um, I don't particularly like saying that because he only used his his left foot. Uh, he used his right foot for standing on. Um, <laughs> and you know, uh, any youngster that I uh, try to uh, train or, or coach, I always impress on them the value of using both feet. Uh, but just somehow Roger got away with it. You know, um, he had fantastic vision. He hardly ever got caught out uh, with the ball. He played in, at one pace. Um, and even in the big games, he always used to find the right uh, pockets and, and enormous amounts of space. Um, and he had an extremely cultured left foot. But I think also Mambush, um, Daniel Madao, his strike rate, rate was really phenomenal. Um, and there were just uh, elements of that team which just gelled together. Um, generally, generally, we played a, a three-five-two system, so the players that we had in the squad um, just suited the system, especially when it came to the wing backs, uh, the likes of Eric Ramasiki, Isaac Shai, Joel Masilela. Uh, uh, we had players Temba Mguni. We had players who can play in that role. It's a quite a specialized role. A lot of teams these days are not quite getting it right when they when they try to attempt that um, um, uh, the wing back uh, system. Um, but we definitely had it, um, and that's why we were quite dominant. And then I think also a highlight of mine was then uh, getting to the Champions League final in 2001 against Al Ahly mm. um, uh, for a for a South African team at that stage to be able to get to that final was quite quite something. And then for yourself, it was off to, to England. Um, you know, you, you speak in brief, uh, briefly in the past, spoken briefly in the past about a failed move to, to West Ham United. If you can maybe just touch on that and, you know, looking back at your career, is that one regret you might have, you know, uh, might have not playing in the Premier League? Yeah, well, that definitely was it. I had a number of trials uh, as, a, as a younger player. Um, one of them was was going to West Ham. Uh, they had showed some some interest in me after my performance against Brazil in the in the Sydney um, Olympics. Yeah, and I spent a week there, um, and I was looked after very well. Uh, they've got a great youth setup. Um, I trained alongside with the likes of Paulo De Canio, uh, Stuart Pierce. Um, you know, and they really had a, a Rio Ferdinand was there. And the reason why they showed interest was because Rio was being sold to to uh, Leeds. 
United and they needed a, a replacement centre-back. Um, Harry Redknapp was uh, quite impressed with my week that I, I'd spent there. And it looked very positive until Sundowns asked for um, uh, too much money, really, at that stage. You know, I'd only had a handful of Bafana caps and the kind of money that they were asking for was, there was no ways that West Ham was going to pay that uh, for a South African lad who hasn't had any um, Premier League experience. So that fell through. Um, and at the time, I remember uh, not really thinking too much about it because you 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 know perhaps you're still quite young and you, you might have something uh, better lined up uh, down the line. But in hindsight, um, uh, after my career, it's something that I <laughs> look back on and I, I, I'm quite disappointed about it because that was the closest I got to playing in the, in the Premier League. Um, and as a as a as a result of that failed move, um, Natasha Chiklis, who was the owner of Sundowns at the time, arranged for me to go to Wimbledon um, uh, through the Wimbledon club owner uh, by the surname of Klopp, um, and he was a South African uh, businessman who owned Wimbledon at the time. Mm. Um, and another piece of advice that I give youngsters is that whenever you do go on trial, whenever you do move to a new club, make sure that the manager or coach knows that you are coming <laughs> because that wasn't the case for me. Um, and it sounds um, odd that I didn't, but you know, as a youngster, you assume that the manager or coach is expecting you. And um, so I spent three months at Wimbledon playing for the reserve team uh, because as you can imagine, arriving at the senior training, um, and, uh, the, the head, the head coach, not knowing anything about me, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to go very well. Um, and, and surprise, surprisingly, I got some interest from Nottingham Forest, um, through that reserve league, but, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing transpired. Who are some of the players that you, you might've trained with at Wimbledon was the likes of, I mean... I think any football fan will know Vinnie Jones, uh, Crazy Bunch. Were, were any of those guys present at the time? No, so that was a, a generation earlier. Um, mm. So no, I didn't. There wouldn't have been anybody that you that you might have um, recognised. Although um, at the time, um, the Michael Thomas, ex Arsenal um, player, yeah. was playing in the reserve team. His career was coming to to an end. Um, so you 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 spotted um, oh uh, uh, Fabian Fabian Delft came through <laughs> and I played a couple of games in the reserve team with uh, with Delft. Uh, he was um, a clear talent then, and and you heard you know of a number of clubs being interested in him already. Um, so those are two names, perhaps that that people might uh, recognize but it wasn't a great time for me uh, I was lacking confidence and um, I could tell that uh, you know I wasn't I was clearly not wanted or expected at the club so um, yeah not I try to expunge that from my CV um, and so it's uh, I'm sorry that you brought it up <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving swiftly along then 
Uh, you 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 went on to to play in Russia for Rostov. Um, how was that experience? Uh, you know, especially you know, I think for a lot of players, especially from Africa, it is quite difficult the the Russian league. But we've had obviously a lot of success success there. You know, think of you know guys like Ahmed Musa, what he did at CSK Moscow. Um, what was it like playing in Russia, and how dif- how different was it to you know playing in sunny South Africa uh, most of the time? Yeah, so the late uh, Jacob Lecheto was the first one to go over, and he really uh, uh, impressed the Russians. Uh, he became a legend at uh, Lokomotiv Moscow at left back. Um, and Viktor Bondarenko, who is the coach at Sundowns, um, basically negotiated for myself and Gif Kampamba to go over to, to Rostov, who were in a bit of trouble. Um, and I was at the stage of my career where uh, I knew I needed to start making um, uh, euros or dollars. Um, and I took the chance without really knowing anything about the league, without knowing anything about Russia, um, except for the usual uh, stereotypes, you know, it's cold, they have beautiful women and they drink lots of vodka, you know, and there's uh, bears walking in the street, you know, that, that type of thing, you know. Um, but as such, one, well, there's elephants walking in like the street in South else, Africa. Realize that it, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So once you arrive there, you realize that it's, it's such a, an enormous uh, country. You can fit South Africa into it at 14, 15 times, you know, and you, you just can't generalize about the place. What's more, it's, it's something that I would encourage any young player to, to try and, and get out of your comfort zone here in South Africa. Go and travel, uh, go and live overseas. It's an education um, from a football point of view, you play against better players, you'll be coached by better coaches. Uh, it will be a test of character. Um, you know, you'll be by yourself. You'll perhaps be injured going back to a cold apartment um, among strangers. It's, it's a true character builder. So it's something that I, that I always tell younger players to, to try and attempt. Uh, and you will become a better product. And therefore... Uh, you'll add value to Bafana Bafana um, you know, should you be called up. Um, and and I arrived there in 2002 when they were put when they were spending a lot of their petro dollars on the league, very similar to the MLS, yeah. um, attempting to raise the status of the league. Um, so I played against uh, a number of quality players um, who who were brought into the league. And uh, spent uh, six fantastic years um, there before the the Confederations Cup and World Cup here in South Africa. And um, with my eldest son, Nathan, who was at the time four years old, we decided to come back to South Africa for, for his schooling and also to try and cement my place in uh, Bafana Bafana. You talk about the return to South Africa, uh, played for Sundowns, Ajax and Bitwes-Wits. Um, How did you find the league changed, you know, from when you left to when you returned? Um, I, from a playing style, I don't think it had changed much. Um, I think from an administration point of view, the league, you could see, had taken enormous steps in becoming more and more professional. Um, just the fixture lists, the running of the fixture lists, um, the television coverage um, well, was definitely 
um, a couple of steps apart from when I when I left. So that was pleasant uh, to know. The introduction of Patrice Motsepe to to the game as well, to Sundowns, also changed the the outlook, um, the landscape uh, for players and and what they can demand from a salary point of view. Um, so I think that was also good uh, for players. You know, the Kutsia ruling as well in 2001 um, had changed the fortunes of players. So those were the two major changes uh, that had occurred while I was um, uh, in, in Russia. You touched briefly on Patrice Motsepe, obviously this week making big news of um, his bid to run for CAF presidency and, and you know, endorsed by, by Safa and Danny Ordon. Um, what do you think of, of the news and do you think it is a role that will suit him and will be for the betterment of African football? Um, you know, uh, he's, he's obviously chosen, uh, it's, it's now clear why he, he, he invested um, or allowed the, the MPO to, to sponsor Safa's, um, one of Safa's tiers. Mm. You can now understand why he did it. Um, I don't necessarily think that uh, Patrice has gone the traditional route in this, in this regard. Um, although he's been the owner of a very successful um, football club, um, I think to run African football, you need to have had a, a history with CAF, more of a, an ingrained history with CAF, uh, to know the inner uh, workings of the organization. So in that regard, I don't think he's suited. But having said that, he obviously has the monetary backing, and if and if he is able to delegate correctly, uh, should he get the position, then it can be a success for him. It can be a success for Africa, um, and and certainly it would be good for South African football. Uh, but to be honest with you, no matter who runs for CAF president, I've, it's very similar to, to a politician. You know, I'm always very suspicious these days of the intentions. And, and ultimately, if you don't have good intentions for the continent or for your country, then you shouldn't be running. Um, and I think that question can only be asked to, to Patrice. And even then, we can only really truly see his intentions once he gets into power. So it's a tricky one, but um, it can certainly be good for South African football. Um, and uh, it's very similar to a South African player going to Europe and making a success for himself. It's very similar, you know, when you have administrators and, and your own business people and people that you know um, getting into positions of power uh, outside of our borders. Um, you know, you, you've, you've got to be proud of that fact. You mentioned the impact made by, by Patrice in, in the South African League, um, obviously had a massive impact on, on Peter Mosimani and how his car- career skyrocketed over the last seven to eight years. Um, obviously, Peter has got a, a big say in that as well, having brought a lot of success to Sundowns. Um, he's got a massive game coming up in the end of this month, uh, 
end of November, CAF Champions League final. Um, obviously, you can't take all the credit having you know, joined the team at the semi-final stage, but how big of a win will it be for South Africa if he's able to, to lead Al-Akhli to their ninth title? Oh, it'll be massive. Um, and what I like about what they've done is that uh, they haven't changed too much. You know, they haven't rocked the boat. Um, and that was very intelligent of them. Um, his main job was to was to pacify the players. And it certainly helps um, when you come in to a new team, a, a massive team uh, like Alakli, with uh, a big CV yourself and having recently played against them um, so that they know exactly what he's about. Um, unlike, again, an unknown, perhaps European coach coming on board or uh, some arbitrary person, you know, who, who's not particularly qualified. So his CV holds weight. Um, and the job that Pizzo had to do was to gain the confidence of the squad as soon as he hit the ground um, in, in Cairo. And that's clearly what he did, uh, just judging from the results that he produced. So that, for me alone, was very impressive. You have worked with, with Pittsburgh national team level. Um, it's been 10 years now since the, the World Cup in South Africa. Um, what, what, should we, what have we learned over the last 10 years and with the money, do you feel that the money that was invested in, in South African football back then has been adequately used and the resources um, considering where we are today with the national team and where we are ranked um, and, and considered across the globe as a soccer entity? Yeah, so naturally, um, leading up to the World Cup, I was dead keen for the World Cup to, to come to South Africa. I was very excited. I was a player. It was a chance for me to uh, play on the biggest stage in the world, um, coming towards the end of my career. So I was very excited about it. But hindsight is a beautiful thing. And I, I feel that um, we've been left with uh, some great infrastructure, um, not necessarily um very useful to <clears throat> the large majority of uh, South Africans um we've as a football industry we've at last got football specific stadiums so we don't have to go and beg and borrow and steal from uh, rugby mm. um but but other than that we've been left with with very little um tangible uh, development possibilities and you know if you look around the, the country um, there are actually very few uh, developmental facilities um, sustainable programs um, and, and coaching possibilities you know educational possibilities so Safa, I don't think, uh, took advantage of the euphoria that was uh, surrounding leading up to and post the uh, World Cup um, to garner uh, support for initiatives going forward. They failed dismally in that regard. Um, and I would love to know uh, what's happened to the um, 450 million rand plus 
legacy funds um, because as a stakeholder, um, I might be out of the game now, but I've got two young boys who love the game and I would like to know uh, what's happened to those funds and where have they been allocated and distributed to. Um, so I think post World Cup, uh, I think SAFA have dropped the baton um, and we could have been in a, a totally different space right now if they had um, put attention to grassroots football, um, not only in our metros, but all around the country. Um, and therefore, we wouldn't be shouting and complaining at Bafana um, every time they play uh, if that, that had happened. Because I keep on telling people, you know, Bafana Bafana is not the issue. You know, you can keep on throwing money at Bafana Bafana. It's not, it's not the issue. Go down to your, your local football club, your amateur club, your LFA, get involved there, and you will quickly see why we are not maximizing our enormous pool of talent, our natural talent. You know, who's coaching the coaches? You know, I, I speak to ex-professionals all the time who complain bitterly about the lack of um, uh, coaching seminars and, and the ability to, to educate ourselves uh, in, in coaching. And there are thousands and thousands upon of, of school teachers and uh, guys, people who love the game, who also want to coach um, and are not getting the ability to do so. Um, so I think that's the real concern for me is that everything is focused at the top um, and nobody's willing to roll up their sleeves and institute, first of all, facilities, build facilities, um, secure good facilities, uh, implement sustainable programs and get coaches on the ground to coach our kids. Um, and, and what's more, I believe that um, every little girl should be getting the same opportunity as every little boy as well. That's a, that's a huge market that we've missed out on yeah. uh, big time is the women's game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Matthew, we appreciate your, your insight and your knowledge into the game and giving us a bit of background on, on your journey in football. Um, we wish you all the best and thanks for, for giving us some time. Cheers, no problem, baby. In next week's episode, we'll be joined by another prominent name in South African soccer circles as we review Bafana Bafana's performances and switch our focus back to domestic action. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to discuss on this key discussions, please hit me up at ab underscore basson on Twitter or on Instagram. Aware and keep safe.